Look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 today as we're considering what it's like in the call of God for you and me to live godly lives, that we would be exercising in godliness. I want to slow this particular section down uh, and divide this up a little bit so we'll only cover a portion of it this Sunday and we'll see where we end up next week as well in this text. Now in the previous verses, we took time last week to study, Paul had cast light on the false teachers. Their conscience was seared. They were not given to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, could not really engage in truth that he would lead them to, and they were spawning out lies, just deceit. And of course, they were influenced by the demonic host that tries to propagate the lies of the father of lies, Satan himself, throughout the world. They had taught that the way to godliness was actually through self-denial by denying things that God had already declared to be good. They said to deny the self in regards to marriage and even certain foods And that in doing so, somebody could be in relationship with God and be holy with God, be godly people by doing that. Marriage and food, as we know by the word of God, is declared to be good and right by God. And yet they were saying the opposite of that, as if it were meant to be rejected. You'll have to pardon my pun, but Paul was appalled at that couldn't quite get a hold of that truth that uh, that they would say those kind of lies before the people of God it was just taken aback that anybody would believe or teach that the way to holiness is to reject God's good gifts if you're married today and you're enjoying good food today on this independence day then it's because the God above has chosen to give you a good gift And so you ought to embrace that. So how does somebody enter into a relationship with God? And how do we walk with godliness and holiness and righteousness? Well, the answer is actually fairly simple for those who are following and reading God's word. We come into a relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are certain that our faith is in Christ because Christ has accomplished all the godliness that God requires of all people. The holiness is demonstrated in Christ and he shares that with us. He gives that to us. He takes away our unholiness, our ungodliness, nailing it to the cross of Calvary, erasing the debt that was held against us and he treasures into us his own righteous credit. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the mystery of the gospel that we would actually be able to walk and be declared holy before God. So after reading Paul's stinging blow against asceticism, where it's self-denial in order to get godliness, against uh, those ones who had come against saying, this is what you have to do to be godly, you would think that Paul would say, I'm gonna step back from any steps to godliness. But that's the opposite of what he does. 
In fact, he redirects the thinking. He wants us to understand the truth and the realities of the gospel and then from the gospel truth, tell us how we can walk with godliness, how we can walk with righteousness and how you and I can be holy. I want to try to demonstrate this a little bit with an illustration, although I'll tell you it's going to be fairly lacking. Uh, There's a godliness and a righteousness that the Bible tells us to have that seems lofty and really not able to be received. In fact, we might say it in a colloquial way that it's pie in the sky. Like, how would any of us ever have righteousness? How would you or me ever be godly and declare to be godly and know that that's a truthful declaration? Well, godliness and righteousness are not just lofty goals. Godliness and righteousness are the demands of God on our lives. So this isn't just pie in the sky. This isn't something that we hope to aspire to one day. This is what God demands of us. He demands that you and I would be godly, that we would be righteous people, that we would live holy lives. In fact, as 1 Peter declares by the... uh, by the movement of the Spirit through Peter, calling back an Old Testament passage, he says, be ye holy as I am holy. This is God's demand on us, that you and I would be holy, utterly separated from the world and unto him. That's what holiness is. So he says, be holy for I am holy. He makes that demand on us. He demands that we obey his law and live rightly before him. And he has every right to make that declaration to us and insistence upon us because he is the creator and we are the created. So the creator can tell the created what to do in every means. So he says, be holy because that's who I am as your creator. Be holy, follow after me. However, we're troubled since godliness and holiness and righteousness are elusive to us. I don't know about you, but that's the big struggle of my life that I want holiness. I want to walk righteously before God and my wife and my friends and my church family, but I just fail to do it. That's the big struggle of my life. It was the struggle of the Apostle Paul who is writing this letter to Timothy. He recognized that it's impossible to live rightly before God and others without God moving upon us in a supernatural way. In fact, he writes very vividly about this struggle in his own life in Romans chapter 7. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody want to just agree with that, that that's me as well? I have that desire, but I just have the inability or I lack the ability to carry this out. So we're all plagued with that same issue. We cannot carry out the demands of God. And our failure results in death, spiritually, physically, and otherwise. And separation from God, who is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. This is where the good news of Christ Jesus, the gospel, comes into play. Gospel, by the way, euangelion in its original language means good news. This is where the good news intersects our great need. 
And so where we want godliness and righteousness because God has demanded it of us, Jesus Christ comes in order to give that to us. Paul says in this wrestling, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, he recognizes that sin is in him, it's in his flesh, and he needs that done away with. Who is going to rectify this I have this wretchedness in me who will do something about this body of death that I have and then he answers the question thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord the answer is coming in Jesus the answer is Jesus he is the one that that intersects our great need and God's great call so Jesus fully God and fully man lived among us And in every thought, in every word, and every action, he perfectly demonstrated the nature of God and lived righteously the standard which God requires of all people to obey his law faultlessly. In other words, Jesus proved to be holy and godly and righteous. So as we read the requirements of God, and we see them demonstrated perfectly in Jesus Christ, we conclude, as Paul, that we wretched people need someone to deliver us from this body of death, and Jesus proves to be the only one to be able to accomplish that. That's the reason why that song was so meaningful to us just a moment ago. Who can open this scroll? Who can accomplish this that God is requiring of all of us? Who alone is worthy but Jesus and all the angelic host is saying, he alone is worthy. He's worthy. And so our lives are given to him as he is our rescuer and our deliverer. Listen to Paul's continuous words out of Romans chapter 6. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Now let's pause for a minute and just make sure we're understanding that we're baptized because here we are in a Baptist church, so we're big on baptisms, aren't we? Uh, That transliteration of the word baptizo gets a little bit lost because when we think about baptized, we think about dunking in that water. But the word actually means to immerse That's the reason why we put people down in the water. We're immersing them. You and I were immersed in sin. Christ came to carry our sin to the cross and he shares his death with us on the cross. So we immerse ourselves by faith in him that he alone is worthy to take our sin upon himself and pay God's righteous requirement. And we lift them out of the water showing that as our faith is put in Jesus Christ, so we are given a new life to live by the Spirit of God. The old has passed away, all things have become new. The sin has been washed away. The righteousness of Christ has now been imputed in us, placed in us, and declared right in us. So when we think of the word baptized, we ought to be thinking of the word immerse. So let me just reread that verse. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? And we were buried therefore with him by immersion into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So where is this going? I can tell you two two directions. Number one, 
Christ is taking care of our sin, and this is where Second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is coming to play. Christ Jesus is taking t- care of our godliness. Just as we needed him to be our savior, we need him to be the source of our godly walk. So in a moment, I'm gonna read 1 Timothy chapter four, and he is going to say to us that we ought to exercise, train ourselves in godliness. How is this possible that you and I could train and exercise in godliness? It's possible by Jesus Christ. Because just as certain as we can be about our salvation in him, we can be just as certain that he can empower us and give us a new nature that we can walk godly, that we can walk with righteousness. Now for some who are wrestling in sin and finding besetted sins in your life and sins that have led you to addictions in them and you're thinking there is never going to be freedom of those sins I want you to know the freedom can come in Christ Jesus and I'm going to show you that in just a moment it's passions so Jesus holy and righteous laid down his life on the cross as a substitute for us carrying our sin to that cursed tree and bearing God's holy wrath and justice against our sin he died in our sin however not only did he pay sin's penalty he provided newness of life and as Paul says so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin which means Jesus is our walk of godliness. He is that for us, and he will empower that in us. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus became our sin, uh, excuse me, our wisdom from God. Look what he says. Not only is Jesus our wisdom, he's our righteousness, he is our sanctification, and he is our redemption. So you don't have to, strive for wisdom you don't have to strive for sanctification you don't have to strive for righteousness you don't have to strive for redemption Jesus is that for us and that's the way God is viewing that God is viewing us through the filter of his son Jesus who has provided all those things for us and that leads us well to today's passage because those are the if you will, the grounding foundational stones by which our lives are being built. And 1 Timothy is an epistle to a pastor telling him about how the life in church ought to be. So if this is the way life in church ought to be, we first have to recognize what are the foundations for that building up of our life. What is the essential truth for you and me to know? And we can be certain that this is essential truth. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, begin in verse 6 and just work our way through a little bit. It says in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So let's zoom in for a moment on these two words, faith, uh, two phrases, faith and good doctrine. Let's focus in on that because that's really where Paul first wants us to settle in, to contemplate faith and doctrine. Now, he's moving towards godliness. 
He's moving towards exercising and train ourselves to be godly. But first, he says, make sure your faith and your doctrine are right. Let me just go out here on a limb. You will never be godly without right faith and doctrine. You can strive, you can scrimp, you can scrape, you can claw, you can try to get your life together all you want, but without good faith and good doctrine, it is futile. But now flip that around. The good news is if God is calling us to be holy and faith and doctrine will lead us there, we just need to hunker down, if you will, on good faith and good doctrine so that we can exercise that faith and doctrine and the exercise is demonstrated with godliness. It's possible. Listen to me. It's possible with good faith and good doctrine for you and me to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Some of you are thinking, there ain't no way. I've come too far, I've gone too deep, I'm too overcome by sin. Listen, Jesus Christ is the overcomer. And when your life is in him, you too are overcomers. You just gotta have good faith, good doctrine, and exercise, train yourself to walk in godliness by the Spirit of God. We're gonna talk about that. So good faith and good doctrine that I think Paul is referencing here is the salvation and the sanctification and the glorification that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now those are obviously rich theological truth words and you might say, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna root down into the thick of that and you're absolutely right. Because these are essential. Let's talk about those for a minute. Salvation, salvation is simply our rescue from sin, death, and God's judgment. We have been saved from that. Listen, in our sin, we are dead spiritually. In our sin, we are dead physically. We are going to die. And in our sin, we are going to be eternally separated from God. Salvation is God coming in and doing something about that. And Jesus Christ takes our death and God's wrath upon himself in our stead. And he gifts that to us. What a treasure. He gives that to us who put our faith and trust in him. That's salvation. Some of you have yet to be saved. And God is calling out for you to be saved, to trust him to overcome your sin, to trust him to erase the debt of sin that is held against you, to trust Jesus to take that punishment upon the cross in your place as a substitute. So why don't you give yourself to him? Put your faith and trust in him and give your life to him. Be gloriously saved today. The second aspect of this good faith and doctrine that I think that Paul is raising before Timothy to make sure he's communicating to the church, he'll be a good faithful servant if he'll do this, is sanctification. Now sanctification is being made holy. So you and I, by faith, who have trusted in Christ, are declared to be holy by Christ before the Father, and that's by his work of redemption on our behalf. But sanctification is you and me learning to walk in the holy ways of God. 
exercising in this. And he's going to talk about that in a moment, that we would exercise godliness. So our sanctification is made possible through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, and through the Word. And he is working in that. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are being sanctified. You've already been saved, and you are now exercising in that by the empowerment of the Spirit, by the declaration of the Word. And you're moving towards glorification. Glorification is being made glorious in our body as we are in spirit. So there's coming a day that those of us who are in faith in Christ Jesus will stand before Jesus, and when we stand before him, we will be made gloriously whole. Our bodies will be different. My body was born into sin. My flesh came pre-packed with sin. But when I'm resurrected and I stand before Jesus, that will not be the way it is. My body will never have been touched by sin and never have an inkling of sin in it. I won't be given to it. I won't want it. There won't be a temptation that will ever work. There will not be temptation around. That's to live in glory and to be glorified. So all of that is accomplished in Jesus. I can't do that on my own. You can't do that on your own. But Christ Jesus saves you. He sanctifies you. And he will one day glorify you in body as you are in spirit. So we're saved, we're sanctified, and we're glorified through faith in Jesus. Now, good doctrine puts all the focus and all the empowerment and all the fulfillment of those realities on Jesus. That's good doctrine. That's, that's where good faith rests. In other words, you don't have to work for something spiritually that Jesus Christ has already accomplished and given to you as a gift. Man, if I could have circled back in my life to about the point I was 14, 15, 16 and understood that truth, what a difference it would have made. If I could have heard somebody say, Randy, why are you working to achieve what Jesus has already achieved and given to you? Man, my life would have been on a different track. And a lot of frustration and anguish and regret in my failures and caused me to circle away from Christ, pull back from prayer, pull back from worship, pull back from reading his word because I sensed this overwhelming guilt, like I wasn't measuring up, all that would have been done away with if I had good faith and good doctrine and understood the realities of Christ. So Paul is saying, you, Timothy, will be a good servant that, that word servant, by the way, means minister. You'll be a good minister if you put these things before the brothers. Make sure this is, is the primary. Make sure this is what you're telling the brothers and the sisters there in the church, that this is the gospel, that this is Christ. And of course, this is what the, the scripture is. This is the apostles' teaching. This is what the Old Testament has been moving towards. It's what the New Testament is recording and the life of that. So that sort of reminds me, uh, Meadowbrook, what you and I need to be making sure is where we're focusing. We're focusing as people on the exclusive message of the Bible. This is all we teach. This is all we preach. Our message is exclusively here, but the message is inclusive of everyone. This ought to be our focus, and it ought to be distributed to as many people as we can get it out to. None of us can deliver 
what we do not possess. So it's imperative that we all have that word, have that good faith and good doctrine, and then share it with other people. Could I just remind us for a moment that you and I cannot be intellectually lazy. As Christians, you, you, you've got to be bright, disciplined, dig into the scripture kind of people. If you're gonna be a good servant, it's gonna be because you are digging in this word. Being faithful requires that we be disciplined readers, that we read it correctly and we interpret it cor correctly and we communicate it well these eternal truths. It, it takes time, doesn't it, to be a student of the Bible. My life is given to be a student of the Bible, not just a proclaimer of the Bible, but personally be a student of the Bible. And your life needs to be that as well. Knowing the Bible truths is absolutely essential. I was convicted this last week and encouraged as well as I was listening to John MacArthur teach on this particular chapter uh, it's my nightly routine when it's time to settle and go to sleep. I'll turn on a, either the Bible app or a message from somebody that I trust and to communicate God's word, and I'll stick that earpiece in my ear, and I'll just go to sleep, reading, listening to the Bible. If I wake up in the night, in case, what are you doing over there? It's typically me turning back on and sticking back in my ear that Bible. Perhaps going down the road or mowing on the lawnmower, doing tractor therapy. Anybody know what tractor therapy is? Oh, you should try that. It's really, really good. With earplugs, listening to the scripture, hearing messages. And one particular message that I heard really spoke to me in volumes. In fact, I've now heard it two or three times. And I'm going to share it with you. Here, here's one passage from this message. MacArthur says, talking about the intellectual fortitude that we ought to have as students of the Bible in order to have good faith and good doctrine, because without good faith and good doctrine, you and I cannot exercise our lives in godliness. So he says, the failure to think biblically and theologically has cost the church dearly. It has allowed the infiltration of all sorts of error that, in turn, has led to the church becoming confused and weak. Convictionless preaching, consistently watering down teaching, platitudes and weak theology has replaced doctrinally strong expositional preaching. The resulting legacy has been one of charismatic confusion, psychological encroachment, mysticism, even psychic and occult influences. Much of the chaos can be attributed directly to the failure of pastors to think critically and to preach with conviction. I'm just gonna say it outright. You should expect me to be a critical thinker. Now by critical, I'm not meaning put somebody down. By critical, I'm talking about being a disciplined thinker, to be one to contemplate, to dig, to not just say, oh, I don't get that and move along. You want me to be in my office or in my home or on the tractor and say, God, I don't get that. May your Holy Spirit give that to me and then dig some more and dig some more. You should expect that of me. But let me just tell you, you should expect that of you. 
If you're going to walk with good faith and good doctrine so that you might exercise well in godliness, you have to be a critical thinker, an intellectually disciplined, skilled person to read and understand the Bible so that you might not just have it, but you might communicate it and talk about it intellectually with other people. You should be that, and so should I. Like the Bereans who heard the preachers in their day who took them to task by going back to God's word and seeing if it measured verse by verse with God's holy word. And we should be like the Bereans or like the early Christians in Jerusalem who devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, meeting together in each other's homes and talking about that and having good meals together. So what can you do to increase your diet of the Bible? The diet of the Bible is absolutely essential if you're going to have the strength to walk in godliness. If you're going to have good faith and good doctrine, you've got to be engaged in the Bible. I don't know about you, but we have been preparing for today and tomorrow's meals for a good while. Uh, Evan and Karen are in. They came in last night, and they've become quite the cooks, and along with my wife, they will do incredibly well at putting some big meals before us. Now, you've got to have a strategy when you eat like that. <laughs> the strategy for me is going to be in one of two ways. See if this resonates with you. When I have the food on the plate, I'm strategizing how can it be that the last bite that I take from this plate is the best bite of the entire meal. Anybody? do it that way maybe it's that little slightly overcooked cheese on the mac and cheese that you like and that's going to be your last bite or maybe it's that crusty piece on an apple pie that's just right and that's going to be your bite every now and then I get CK looking on my plate like she's going to take my last bite <laughs> I'm thinking, you're about to have four holes in that hand, little lady. <laughs> that's one strategy. Usually, that's not the choice strategy for me. The choice strategy for me is I'm perusing before I even let something on my plate. I'm looking and moving and flipping things around, seeing what I even want there, because there is limited space in this stomach. And I only want what I really want going in here because, I mean, you could have peas if you want them, but peas take up room that you could have spare ribs. And so I am choosing what not to even put on my plate because that valuable room I want to be for something else that I really enjoy. Now, that latter strategy is a good strategy for us to walk in holiness. Because there's a lot of stuff offered to us throughout the day, and you could put all of that in your life, but is that smart? Because you only have limited capacity to really be able to engage deeply in certain things. And so maybe you need to push some things off I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose the better things because there's only so, so much room in this brain of mine 
so much givenness to contemplate, so much to memorize, so much that I can meditate on, and I'm going to choose the things that are most important to me. And so Kay and I try to make it our habit every morning to get up and get in God's Word, spend time not just reading it, but intellectually engaging it, writing things about it, praying about it, thinking about it, talking about it through the day. Could you do that? Sure, you could. Well, I could watch this or I could watch that, but I only have a limited capacity by which to really engage things deeply, so maybe I choose God's word over that. Or I could be listening to this podcast or that podcast, or I could engage in this music or that music, but maybe because I want to exercise and train myself in godliness with what Christ has accomplished, I want to walk in that, so I'm going to elevate something greater. I'm going to hear God's word. I'm going to listen to God's word being proclaimed. I want to engage differently. Paul exhorts us in this text to think in those terms. Look what he says in, in verses 7 and following. After he said, hey, make sure you've got good faith and good doctrine, he says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. I'm going to make one point in this message, and this is it. Christian spiritual fitness training focuses on faith and doctrine. Your training focuses right there. You might think it's on application. You might think it's on practice. You might think it's on doing without or adding to. But what Paul wants you and me to get, first of all, is Christian spiritual fitness is all about your mind and heart, what you and I focus on. And he says, focus on faith and doctrine. Now, a fitness trainer is focusing on diet and exercise. That fitness trainer is helping you to recognize the food that you're putting in your body will give you the power to exercise your body. You're going to have both, good food and good training. This preacher is doing the same thing. I'm encouraging you to have a healthy diet of the Bible and train yourself for godliness. And I will say you can't be godly without having the Bible. Physical fitness concentrates on diet and exercise and spiritual health focuses on biblical truth and godliness. So as your good diet fuels your workout, so taking in God's word fuels your godly living. You can't have godly ways in your life without having God's word in your life. 
If, if you wanted to take time, you could just make a note of it. Go back to Romans chapter 12, because Romans 12 tells us how we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God and walk in godly ways. And he says it in verse 2. He says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the exercise of godliness is in the renewing of our mind with good faith and good doctrine. Make sure we're doing that well. So Paul is instructing Timothy not to have a junk diet of irreverent, silly myths, silly things like doing away with marriage and doing away with certain foods as if that's going to make you godly or holy. But instead, it's training on faith and good doctrine. So your biblical diet primarily comes to you in a couple of ways. One is in our gathering together, like on Sundays. What, what you're doing today is you're feasting on God's word. The music that we presented to you today is God's word melodically placed. The public reading of the scripture earlier and now the exhortation that comes from that is meant to be a good, healthy diet for you. Coming together is meant to do that. In the next hour life group, it's another opportunity to have good fellowship, good ministry together, good time and prayer together, and good study of God's word and taking God's word and applying it into your life, exercising in that. That's, that's good things. When we get together on Wednesday, when we're in season out of the summer, we're back together on Wednesday, that's a good opportunity for you to dig deeply in God's word. That's part of what we're doing. We're exercising in this word of God that we might exercise in faith. That's just one aspect, coming together. The other is the bigger lion's share portion of your diet. It's your daily intake of God's word. And I even resist saying daily. It's your regular intake of God's word. Because for me, it takes more than just a daily exercise in God's word. It takes a meditation. It takes a awake in the night thinking about God's word. It, it takes talking about it to other people. It takes multiple readings. It takes messages by people who are solid in their teaching. It takes all of that for me. So I would say that's our diet. We get together and we feast together in God's word and we regularly throughout the days, engage in God's word. I would encourage you to do that. Your biblical diet is absolutely essential. Now, in your handout, you see that there's some passages there that are uh, identifying these areas, how we're to consider constantly coming together that we might stir each other up in good works. We do that by our congregational gathering or our personal Aspect. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that this word is breathed out by God. So it's our word that God has given to us. And he says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. If you and I are going to be trained in godliness and righteousness, he says it's by the word. And you can see the other texts there that I think are absolutely essential. So the more we dig into God's word, a couple of things that are happening. When we do it congregationally and individually, here's what is happening. Number one, we're all struck by God. And I use that word in the right sense. We are in awe of God when we read his word. 
And when we're in awe of God and his ways and his will, then we will prescribe that life and will to ourselves, seeing that this is what God has called us to. He reveals himself and he reveals his will, and we want to engage in that. Secondly, we know more about God's holiness when we read his word. And when we know more about God's holiness, we know more about our unholiness. And that's conviction. And the Spirit will say to you and me as we read God's word, and we say, oh, that's not the way I'm living. That's not the way I'm thinking. The Spirit will say, well, why not? If that's the nature that's in you, why not? And we'll confess those things as sin and he will forgive us and set us right in a new course of living and we'll exercise in godliness. The third thing that happens when we read God's word is that we will be transfixed on his glory. And as we are transfixed on God's glory, the allure of this world diminishes. That's an exercise in godliness as well. So the more we feast and exercise on the Bible truths and we know his will, and we long to be more like him, the better we are. So let me ask you a question. God demands holiness and righteousness in you and he will hold you accountable for your doing. How do you measure up? Well, if you're like me, you fall miserably short of God's glorious standard. You need a deliverer. You and I need deliverers because God is requiring justice of every sin we've ever committed. But thanks be to God that he has provided the deliverer, the savior of our soul in Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy to take our sin upon himself on the cross and die with it there in order that he might forgive us and give to us his righteousness. If your faith is not in Christ Jesus, he has brought you to this place, either online or in person, to hear that word. Now give yourself to him. Why hold back? Give yourself to the one who has laid down his life for you. Have faith in good doctrine, church. If you're going to be called to exercise in godliness, and you are, then you've got to have good faith and good doctrine, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, trusting in him for your being made holy, trusting in him that you will one day be glorious. Trust him. And how can you have good faith and good doctrine without engaging him in his word? Walk in godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit and choose a hearty diet of the Bible and good exercise of godliness. Many of us have got to get way more serious about our diets. How many of us over the weekend have said, you know, Monday I'm gonna do things a little differently or through the holidays. Once I get past the holidays, I'm gonna do it differently. And we think about diet and exercise on a day in the future. But listen, we need to get serious about our spiritual diet and stop with the junk food of the world and engage in biblical truth, putting in our lives what we put on our plates, what's best for us, what's best for us. Now, next week, we'll talk very practically about engaging and walking in godliness, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to share that with you. Let's pray together. It's not by chance that the people who are hearing your message today, Lord, are hearing it. It's not with just the mere words of a man. 
standing before them, but it is your word breathed out by your mouth, empowered by your spirit to transform lives. And so, God, I pray that this is a day of transformation for some. As they have heard your word, let faith be given to them that they might move in faith towards it, surrendering their lives, forsaking all others, and trusting in Jesus alone for salvation and sanctification and glorification. And Lord, stir in us by your Holy Spirit a deep longing for your word. Let us be like a deer panting for water, thirsting for your word. And Lord, let our diet be rich with truth, good doctrine, and good faith. And we pray Christ would be honored as we would exercise from those truths in a godly way. Give hope to the ones where hope is diminished. Give faith to the ones where doubt has encroached. And give life to the one who is spiritually dead. Please, Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.